0: Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce, and welcome to the Voice of Reason podcast. Today's guest is Chris Shelton, who is an ex-Scientology member and a studier of cults, or destructive cults specifically. He gives you a more thorough introduction to his work after my introduction, so I'll just say that we cover the ways in which cult-like behavior or cult Like systems of group thinking shape the ways individuals surrender their agency to the group. We also compare that to what's happening now in our culture writ large, and we, I guess, workshop different ways to resist becoming a part of a group that has abusive tendencies to it. How to recognize those tendencies and set yourself apart from what is sweeping a lot of people up concurrently and perennially this is just different ways in which the human being is gamed by other human beings and by ideologies writ large this is a very wide-ranging very informative conversation so let's get right to it here's chris shelton
1: hi good to meet you
0: great to meet you too chris
1: i just finished watching the first four videos in your evergreen series (laughs) holy shit man how do
0: you feel Fuck. Let's talk about your emotions. Oh my God! <laughs> right,
1: I could download for a while. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. <laughs> so please, we please do introduce one another here. Okay, yeah. I um, I'm 50 years old. I am a. Uh, I was born and raised in California. Um, I uh, southern California mostly, and central. Um, I grew up in Pasadena, California. Um. My dad was in the Navy. My mom was a nurse. They got involved with the Church of Scientology when I was two years old. So um, my entire—and they stayed Scientologists my entire childhood until I left home. So my entire childhood was Scientology. So that was my religious background, and it was a cult. And I didn't know. They didn't know. We weren't, you know—they were at a—they were— Scientology is a complex thing. I can't really, you know, simply explain it except to say that they were at the public level and they worked for the organization at a low level organization, like a public facing sort of place in Pasadena um, through the 70s into, you know, into the early 80s. And then they left the church uh, working for the church in the in like 1981 or two or something. I was just a little kid growing up, you know, going to public school, doing my thing. And um, then at a high school, we moved up to Santa uh, near Santa Barbara to a place called Santa Maria. And um, the closest church then was in Santa Barbara. So when I was a sophomore in high school, I started um, doing—well, between sophomore and junior year, I started doing classes at the church myself. So now it became not just a a thing my parents did or a belief that we had, but now I was taking part in it. And, um, And I was all in. And when I finished high school, when I was 17, I started working for the church in Santa Barbara. And that was a contracted staff position. Um, it's a volunteer status legally, so you don't have to get paid anything. You're a religious volunteer. They've got things. It's a very, very crafted, very structured, uh, cult, very, very structured. Um, okay. So then when I was, I, and I worked for the church in Santa Barbara for eight years. And then when I was 25 years old, I went out of the frying pan into the fire by joining the C organization, which is the highest level. Okay, and that's S-E-A organization. It's a paramilitary, paranaval outfit. Ranks, ratings, yes sir, no sir, how high sir, dorm living, they feed you, they clothe you. I worked at the big blue buildings you might have seen in Los Angeles. Whenever you see that big building, uh, this sort of U-shaped building with Scientology sign on it, that's where I lived. That, that building is where we all sleep. <laughs> that's where all the dorms and the rooms are. And I did that for another 17 years. So I was full-time, flat-out, doing nothing but Scientology for 17 years. And I'd already been working full-time in Santa Barbara. I had a full-time job outside the church to pay my bills, and Mm -hmm. then I was working 40 hours at the church. Hmm. Volunteer, pretty much. I mean, the most I got paid, you get paid every week. And as a church staff member, volunteer— The highest I ever made in one week, I think, was about 200 bucks. Mostly, it was five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks. Like, if anything at all, that was the pay. So it wasn't about having a job; it was about saving the world. Yeah. And joining the Sea Org, you get 50 bucks a week, but your food's paid for. They feed you, they clothe you. You know, you're you don't have to. You know, you got communal showers, communal bathrooms. You're working on the base all the time, so. All your physical needs are kind of taken care of in a, not in a great way. You know, the eggs are runny, the food sucks, but you know, you're, you're, you're living the dream of saving the world. And I did that for 17 years. And then I finally, through a series of events, it took, it was about a 10 year process for me to wake up, right? A series of events happened um, while I was in the C organization. I worked, um, the Sea Org is the upper level. So you have the the public, the staff members, like the Santa Barbara staff, the city level churches, and then you have the Sea Org, which manages all of it, runs all of it, delivers all the confidential stuff, you know, the Xenu story, all that stuff you might've heard about. All that is Sea Org level stuff that we, we delivered, right? So, um, so it was a pretty intense life. I had 25 years working for the Church of Scientology and I got out. In to, At the end of two thousand and twelve, I left the C organization officially. I, I went through the channels and then I got on the internet. and um, one thing about the C organization and about Scientology is that their their methods of control are very effective. And I can model it for you. We can break all that down, but I'll just say right now that the self policing mechanisms that there are installed, are um, very effective. You don't look on the internet. you don't go looking for anti-scientology information. you've been very carefully indoctrinated not to. And you definitely know the power of indoctrination so you know how powerful that can be versus education. I use the word very advisedly, uh, indoctrination versus education. So um, so I got out in 2013, went down the internet rabbit hole, found out all the things I had not known, not learned about that L. Ron Hubbard's life was a total lie. They have this complete biography of him within the church that is not connected with reality in hardly any way. Um, I found out he was a bigamist. I found out he failed college. I found out he never had any war wounds. And he claimed, a big claim to fame with Dianetics and Scientology was Hubbard used it to cure himself of his war wounds. And it was that claim that is the fundamental basis of believing that Dianetics and Scientology will work. So kind of significant things to find out. Um, And so I got out in 2013. I was declared officially an enemy of the church because I started speaking out publicly against it, which is a big no-no, on video, on the Internet. I started my own YouTube channel, and um, I started writing and speaking against it. I wrote a book about it not a memoir. It's an actual critical analysis of the subject. I actually break it all down for people. Who L. Ron Hubbard was, the tax exemption, the practices, the beliefs, all of it. It's all in my book. And, uh, and then I've been speaking out ever since. And since and that the subjects that I've talked about have have widened. You know, at first it was just Scientology. Then it kind of got into like Jehovah's Witnesses and and the uh, Mormons and, you know, other cults. And I started hooking up with ex with with survivors of these groups uh, Mm -hmm. who were similar to me, who had started their own YouTube channels. And we started collaborating and doing work together. I do. uh, We have a regular series on my podcast where we'll uh, the three apostates which is me, a former Mormon, and a former Jehovah's Witness. And we compare and contrast, you know, worldviews and, and what's going on now and, you know, how the church deals with sexuality or education or, you know, holidays or whatever. We talk about that stuff. Um, and that's just one of many, many, many uh, series and podcasts and stuff I've done. I've produced hundreds of videos. so um, So it's now... My interests are far beyond Scientology. Um, I, you know, that's how I built an audience. But now I'm kind of taking that audience off to, you know, neuroscience, psychology, sociology. Like I've, I've interviewed professionals. I have a lot of friends. I built up this little network of, of professional people that I get on my show to talk about this stuff. Um, psychologists, cult therapists, you know, cult uh, re-education specialists, stuff like that. And uh, and it's been quite a journey, and I've basically been documenting my own recovery, yeah. and reassimilation into the real world, <laughs> you know, mm. and that whole process, and that's what my channel has basically been, and uh, so that's me. That's that's can who I, I am.
0: Can I ask you a difficult question? Maybe it's easy. Yeah, yeah. I'll let you decide the difficulty of this.
1: <laughs> sure, fire away.
0: How do you think knowledge operates outside of a cult? You say you're you're interviewing psychologists and uh, neuroscientists, and uh, is there a different way that knowledge and communication operate outside of a cult that will let us know when we are passing into like some sort of cult uh, organization?
1: Yeah, there are very specific red flags. Um, There's actually a checklist that I use that was put together by a couple PhD level sociologists about the characteristics of a destructive cult um, cult is obviously a problematic word. So I always take care to say destructive cult, to be very clear about what I'm talking about. Um, Cause cult is really just short for culture. You know, all groups are cults in a way. If you have a culture developed, then you got a cult, but destructive cult has, you know, the authoritarian leadership Basically, I've whittled it down as a very, very reductionist definition to a, a destructive cult is an abusive relationship, whether it's a narcissist and his partner or it's L. Ron Hubbard and, you know, thousands of followers. It's that there's still the abusive relationship between the two, the codependency and the abusive aspects of it are the same. The dynamics are the same. So knowledge um, doesn't really change in terms of how knowledge works. It's the degree or severity of belief and certainty. Uh, it's the inability to critically think on the topic. That's another way I've sort of reductionist down to a very, you know, almost a mantra, but it's it's a workable piece of, of information, which is the more you're led down a spectrum of extremism of belief on anything, What that really means in practical terms is that your ability to critically think about that topic has been gradually worn away or eroded, so you no longer question the dictates and guides and practices of that activity. And it can be very micro-specific. So you can get people who are evangelicals and are hardcore on that belief system, and yet are PhD-level scientists okay right because they it wears away their critical thinking on
0: that topic Mm
1: -hmm. but not about everything you know so that's kind of been my experience with that does that answer the question
0: yeah can you tell when somebody's i guess it when you're interacting with knowledge in a scientific way or in a a discursive uh investigative way there's a different just mode of being when you're Interacting with somebody who, I guess, is uh, adherent to a cult, whether it's destructive or non-destructive, that's where certainty kind of picks up and and uh, clamps down on the mode of discovery, the mode of, uh, I guess, conveying that belief. Do you see? Did you have to break down your uh, your certainty? Is that something that you had to break down and and? Can you describe if that was painful or confusing yes. or what was that about? And and yes. what do you replace your certainty with?
1: That's the problem, because there isn't anything to replace it with, uh, because, you know, wor- the world is uncertain. And I have climbed mountains of knowledge with sociology, psychology, neuroscience. I mean, I've talked to people who really know what they're talking about on these topics, and quantum physics, too, by the way, I had some I I know a a friend of mine who's a quantum physicist, and um, a former Scientologist too, by the way. (laughs) And, um, uh, and what you find what what I was very what what I struggled with what was a very, very, very difficult process for me was, was learning to accept uncertainty. Um, you know, as a second generation Scientologist, I never had nobody ever asked me if I wanted to believe these things. I, I was raised to believe these things, same way Christians is you know, Muslims, et cetera. I mean, it, you, when you're raised in the household, it's not a matter of you know anybody ever asked you to think critically about this stuff. So I never had any other idea than that we are spiritual entities, and we have lived. <laughs> you know, nearly infinite time into the past, through past lives, and we will live forever. We can't die as as entities. Right. And we're just going to keep when we're just stuck in this endless repetition of life after life after life. And Scientology, it was presented to me very young as the only road out of that trap, that prison that we all live in. So um, so I never Ever had the idea that there was some other reality to life until I became much older and started thinking about other ideas. So that's indoctrination, right? And that's one of the reasons why I talk about, you know, I, th- I think religious indoctrination in the young is is almost tantamount to child abuse in some ways because you're you're installing ideas that these children cannot think critically about, and these are not truth ideas. These are not these are faith based ideas, right? So. Um, So I have a little bit of a problem with that. But Mm -hmm. the certainty question, getting back to that, that was probably the most difficult part of the of the the recovery process for me was getting to a place where I was okay with not having that level of certainty. And I was very sure as a Scientologist that I had all the answers to life because I was told I did repetitively. I mean there's it's this is a this is a very very much a a message of Scientology. In fact, in 1954 L. Ron Hubbard called Scientology the science
0: of certainty. Oh, Okay. At least right. he was upfront about that.
1: Yes, he was not he he was very bold in his claims and um I mean he was making claims about, you know, Dianetics and Scientology curing cancer and leukemia and bad eyesight and all kinds of things. So that certainty was created a kind of narcissism a kind of arrogance uh in my world view it does that with people that's what science that's one of the products of scientology or cults in general really as they kind of create a narcissistic sort of attitude that you know everything there is to know that's important and that certainty that you have is Every, you know, is that everyone else just needs to get on board with this and then everything will be fine. And I think that translates quite well to the uh, critical race theory and critical theories that are being taught in universities these days is they're being taught this victimology that they are this way, that society is this way, that these power structures exist and they will always exist and there's nothing you can do about it. And you're very carefully indoctrinated that they are victims and always will be victims. And that there are victimizers, and those victimizers will always be victimizers. They can't help it. Even if they say they don't want to be, they are. You know, it's, like, it's this really crazy sort of extremist belief set. And uh, that's what I recognize in it and go, I need to push back against that. That's wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not right to cultivate being a victim. I am a victim of an oppressive system. I was trafficked. I, I was a slave. And I I don't use those words in a hyperbolic sense. I could give you all the details of it. I've I've laid it out in my channel in detail. Um, But that is what happened to me as a Scientologist, as a Sea Org member. It wasn't just a matter of I needed to believe some things. I was physically sequestered, physically imprisoned, physically um, abused. So so I I understand what systemic problems look like. I understand what it is to live under the yoke of a suppressive oppressive system that doesn't care about what you have to say about it and no one in the group cares about what you think. You have to conform, right? I have I have been all the way down that rabbit hole. The only way I could have had it worse is if I'd ended up in a, you know, in a North Korean or Chinese re education camp where they physically would have beat me into it. I, I, you know, everything that happened to me was mostly psychological, but sleep deprivation, food deprivation, and peer pressure are powerful tools mm-hmm. in that in that tool set. You know, I had a little bit of a hard time watching these, you know, these black students talk about being oppressed while they're eating pizza. <laughs> you know, that was like a bit much to me when I've actually lived it, you know what I mean? So I, 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 I have to, I have a, I, have, <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of patience for that kind of thing, you know? Um, but that's where I'm coming from.
0: Bringing up what's happening now. And from my experience, I watched the Evergreen State College indoctrinate the students. And then the students act out this belief system to its final uh It's Zenith, by which I mean, what does it become when everybody believes it and follows it through to the end? What Mm -hmm. it does is establish a racial hierarchy. Mm -hmm. It takes the racial hierarchy that everybody believes where white people are on top and it inverts it. Mm -hmm. Where now white people are servants going around handing out water, sitting in the back, standing up, going to the front of the line, doing everything that they're told. And then there's this struggle section, struggle session aspect of it where you take the authority and you grind them down and you grind them down and you grind them down. It doesn't do anything productive except for extract demands and resources from the power structure in order to uh, ultimately to, I guess, a right, or or give reparations to past struggles, right? But now I'm seeing across the board, across America, institution after institution, public education, uh, private companies, they're all now adopting the core tenets. They're all now beginning to teach Robin DiAngelo and anti-racism, and right. and people don't see the end of it. They don't see where this leads. They're just presented with this fact that racism is everywhere, that white people are inherently racist and privileged, and that everybody who's not white is a victim. And what do you do with that? Uh, you don't. You don't even know what to do with it. You just. You just stew in it, and you perform these meditations, I guess, on your privilege, and you contemplate it, and then you apologize, and you. But the next step, once everybody's on board of, with this, is is the uh, is the Shuffling around of resources based on race is the. uh, What what do you. So, my question is.
1: The ultimate racist structuring.
0: It's a complete.
1: In the name of of eradicating racism, they are establishing structures that ensure nothing but a racist society.
0: And my question is how do we inoculate people against this? Like, what are some of the tools that people can enter into. And, and I guess doubt is one of the tools that I'm using right now. I'm just performing doubt. I'm just taking mm-hmm. it and I'm questioning it. Because I know inside of these seminars, you're not allowed to question, especially right. if you're white, you're told directly, do not question this. You, yep. if, if you have any discomfort, it's actually dis- defensiveness. It's your racism exerting itself.
1: That's right. It's very funny. circular logic, right? There's no out. There's double binds. They're called double binds. They're everywhere. Throughout this material, they're very carefully crafted to be that way. By the way, there's no way that's an accident. Hmm. These people have figured this out. Now, I don't mean that they're twirling their mustache and you know, in smoke-filled rooms or something. It's just the way the the thinking works. <laughs> you know, people ask all the time about whether cult leaders um, all you know sort of read the same playbook or something. Um, well, they do, but it's an organically created thing in their minds that the, the 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 cult leader playbook is really the pattern of how a sociopath thinks and controls people and that's that's where they come from. You know, this business of using emotional control, information control, limiting the amount of information available to people, saying that you only this is valid and this is not, so this is all you get to look at. You don't ever even get to consider the other side or anything other than what I am saying is true. And if you question it in any way, you know, you're not part of this group anymore. The whole, you know, they they use the levers of of evolution of our social hierarchies as we have evolved them against individuals to peer pressure them into thinking, you know, to conforming really is what it is. It's about conforming Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. It's really about that. Um, You know, you will conform and um, and all the racial, you know, oppression and this and that and we this and that uh, all these horrible things that have happened to us over all these hundreds of years that are now. You know, that I am now taking as a big pile of oppression and saying it's on my head. You know, that's what gives me power to tell you what to do. And I'm going to guilt and shame you into it. These are all ch- check the boxes of the mm-hmm, sociopathic, mm-hmm. you know, cult leader playbook. So that's kind of so it's not even a matter of they have to think it through what they're doing. They just automatically do this because this is how they think.
0: Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? evergreen. There was, a, if you if you just study it as the beta test for yeah. what's going to happen everywhere else. Yes. What you have is most watch- people. It was that. What was going through your head?
1: <laughs> That's exactly what I, I was watching this, and I'm going. We used to call it in Scientology. We would call it a pilot program. We're gonna pilot <laughs> this. <laughs> We're gonna see how this rolls out. See what the kinks are. Work it out. You know. That's exactly what that was. And, and I was very curious. I was not wrote, noting down a couple names of some of the teachers. But I think that president is the one who uh, seems to have been leading the charge. You know, and, uh, he comes in there and he's all about race, critical race theory, uh, every word and breath. And it was scary watching him elucidate how freedom of speech is an unfortunate thing that they have to somehow step around. When he was in that meeting with those students, right? Who were just being victims. They're just sitting there being, I'm so oppressed, I'm so oppressed. About what? When? Where? How? Where were you oppressed? Right? Not one example given. Just we're all oppressed and it's just oppressive. And and look at all this oppression that we're suffering. While they're while they're getting to push cops back, eat pizza and roam around uh, physically intimidating people Mm -hmm. and getting teachers fired. Yeah, they're the oppressed ones. That's a fascinating contradiction. And the really scary thing about the extremist mindset is they are completely unaware of the context in which they're talking. They, you you know, when they were delivering that narrative of what happened. With the police came, and they, we were scared for our lives, and we had to retreat, and all. They really think that's what happened. That's not, they're, just not, they're not just sitting there making that shit up, going, "Oh, now we'll say this, and now we'll say this." She really perceived events that way and wrote yeah. them down yeah. according to how she saw them or how other people, you know, told her it was. That's reality as far as they're concerned. It's delusional.
0: Yeah, it's a holographic delusion. That's yeah. that's what's scary about it because every individual in that group has a piece of the puzzle and they construct this three-dimensional narrative altogether. It, it, and nobody really planned it. Everything was just there for it to happen. There's right. all these little George Bridges didn't want that to happen. Like the leader of it, the president didn't want that to happen. You could probably argue that, that a couple of teachers wanted that because they're mm-hmm. once I, you get further in the series, you see what they really want. Um, Mm. They're just filled with vengeance and 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 resentment for whatever reason, but right. the the problem oh, that I'm facing right it's now a long is series. Pardon me. It's a long series. <laughs> yeah, it's a little long.
1: Just teasing. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I went a little videos. overboard. It's not a problem. I'm totally just ribbing you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but what what you have is a kind of small. A, it
1: was kind of a cauldron of ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it was just waiting to, and there was some TNT thrown in there, and it was just kind of like, okay, eventually this is going to blow yeah. up. You know?
0: What you have is a, a small number of radicals. The, the the people on top empower the radicals, and then the radicals hurt everybody else. And then you have very few. You have Brett Weinstein, Mike Peros, Alan Nasser, and eventually me speaking out about it. Well, I was speaking out about it, but I was just a student, right? Mm. But most people are just quiet and just like, Okay, well, if I if I stand up against this, then they're going to dogpile on me like they did with Brett Weinstein. So there's a whole bunch of incentives to not speak up and to go along. How do we convince people who don't want to be put in that uncomfortable position that if they do disagree with this on a little in a little bit altogether, it will stop them from from the whole mass and maybe it's too late because of the way that that the pressure cooker is built up across America but i still yeah. think that normal people have control as long as they exert agency and independence from it yeah how do you convince somebody like that or how do you well, convince them that, that they need to do that
1: yeah that's a that's a tough one um cuz there isn't a one size fits all answer you know everybody's coming at this with their own degree of trepidation fear Um, willingness to speak up, ability to speak up, ability to think through things. You know, um, we're not all on a level playing field, you know, as far as how we approach this stuff. I always try to encourage critical thinking and simple tests that can that almost anybody could use or simple truths that everybody agrees with. Right. Um, Can you, you know, like uh, like with a cult, right? Um, a real simple way to cut through the bullshit with a cult is, well, what happens if you what 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 do they do if you try to leave? Right. That almost is a is a universal uh, thermometer for whether you got whether you're part of a destructive cult or not, because if you want to leave, you can leave. If you're in a destructive cult, you know, in a regular group, in any kind of regular group, if you leave, eh, you know, no, no big deal, okay. whatever, Okay, you know. Okay. So try to I, I try to come up with like simple exercises like that that almost anybody could understand um, but mostly it's a matter of trying to get people invested in the idea in the first place, especially with this stuff because this is complicated. critical race theory is fucking difficult to understand you know it's that's not like these authors are making themselves they're not good communicators you know. Um, But somehow this has just become so entrenched. And it's, I think, one of the reasons why is because people like to be victims.
0: It preys upon very, uh, just on a narrative level, and this is how I originally deconstructed it in, in my own head, like working my way out of it, even though I wasn't a believer, I was in it and I was surrounded by it and it was enforced upon me to go along with these programs. But just thinking of it as a story, it's like, okay, that's a very convincing story that there is David and Goliath. It's it's part of our narrative exactly. tradition. But it, but it doesn't allow David to it 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 um it denies David the ability to recognize the Goliath that he becomes, right? So you, you have a David Goliath thing and then all of a sudden you have a Goliath that's just turning everybody into its its fodder. That's what happens at the Evergreen State College. That's what happens with this way of thinking, where you 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 foist upon this individual the status of victim. What are there? What's the possibility for them to act out? What are the different characters that can can come about if you're a victim? You you become uh, some sort of venge vengeful Batman, like going around like taking vengeance upon the city uh, for taking your parents away um, you become apathetic and uh, I don't know the, the uh, polite way of saying it but you just become uh, just a, some sort of worm on society just feeding up uh, just eating up society because it owes you all of mm-hmm. this stuff there's just different sorts of character traits that, that become pronounced and they're not healthy if you, if you run them all the way down the road no, it's, I... it's an imbalanced narrative
1: very much so. I look this. I look at this whole thing very similar to the Communist Revolution. Um, now, I'm not. A, I'm not. A, you know, I love history, but I, I don't know all the details of all these things, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But I will say that here you have Marx, who writes this book, right, Das Kapital, and puts this philosophy forward, and and it eventually kind of grows into this thing that Lenin and Trotsky and these guys go forward with, and they're going to, down with the autocracy, down with the authoritarianism, we're going to, you know, we're going to get rid of these guys. And they had tried to assassinate, you know, the czar a few times, and that never really flew, and it was finally like, okay, it's, you know, because it was kind of like Keystone Cops with those guys. And so then finally, <laughs> they incite the revolution right and it's like okay here we go and they and they overthrow everything and then we get 90 years of fucking bullshit because what always happens and what these fucking assholes never remember is they ain't the ones who are going to be in charge they never remember that you know these these people call themselves students of history and they've never learned the most important lessons which is that the academics are the first ones to get lined up against the wall and killed. And that includes these fucking people. You know, Robin DiAngelo would not survive the end of the revolution. They're already trying
0: to cancel her because she's making money off of Black Pain.
1: There you go. There you go. Right. So symbolically, we even have that happening now. Um Not physically with bullets. Right. But it's it it happened. This isn't, you know, the Maoist revolution, Pol Pot. I mean, we see this. Right. This is all based on you, 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 you come up with this intellect. The intellectuals go, hey. This kind of stuff's kind of bullshit, all this authoritarian stuff. Maybe we should push back against some of this. And then they come up with some half-baked ideas that make sense in some ways and don't make sense in other ways. But they're pushing back against the system they're living in, which is an authoritarian system. I mean, it's not like the czars were great people. And it's not like Russia was flourishing under them, you know, but it was better than what came. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's always the way it goes. Same Cuba, you know, same things. It's like, yeah, there was some oppressive shit going on. There always is. But the pushback against it beca- you know, the, the, when the solution becomes, you know, the new problem is always how it goes. And so that's how I, <laughs> that's how I kind of see what's happening with all this is here's a base on which some really stupid fucking people who can't think with unintended consequences put together and said well the, you know postmodernism right the enlightenment didn't work and we still have slavery and we still have this and we still have that so it's all bad and we just have to tear it all down and that's really as far as i can tell the the fundamental bedrock basis of the of the entire philosophy is none of this shit's working so let's just deconstruct the whole thing and and start again yeah, yeah. i even see the point i mean i would i would very clearly argue and have for the deconstruction of scientology it's a bad system from top to bottom. You know, yeah. I get it. I get where that viewpoint comes from. Um, I don't think that anymore. Now I'm kind of like, well, all right, whatever. You know, people are going to believe whatever they're going to believe. Um, yeah. But it's the, it's the, it's the you know, how do you prevent that cycle of history is kind of the point I'm making. How do you, you know, how do you, it's beyond any individual. We can't. You know, we're caught up in forces with sociology that are way beyond any one of us. So... All we can really do at this point, and what I've really reconciled myself to, because I was on a save the world kick. Yeah. The reason I was in Scientology, the, 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 the bedrock fundamental that I bought into with Scientology, was that as bad as it got, as trafficked as I got, as abused as I got, and I knew I was being abused while it was happening. It wasn't like I, you know, I was like, thank you, sir, may I have another? I hated it. But I was saving the world. So who saves the world without some sacrifice? No one. You got to sacrifice. You got to give up the movies. You got to give up the time off. You got to give up the good food, the good life. I used to literally fantasize about steak dinners. <laughs> like that's where I was at, right? Like steak dinners to me were the ultimate expression of a good time. You know, that's how I used to that's how I used to be when I was, you know, eating my runny eggs. So, um so any, you know, so, so saving the world is like, forget it. That's, that's just another control mantra. That's just another thought stopping cliche. No one's okay. saving. The world. the world doesn't need saving. Instead, we as individuals have to stand up for our individual rights and encourage others to do the same. And at the end of the day, that's pretty much all we can do.
0: When you have, when you increase the stakes so high where you're saving the world against, yeah. in this, in this instance, it, 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 against that. racism. Yeah, that's what we're gonna end racism. Yep. Okay. Good luck with that. But (laughs) why would you say no? Okay, let's do it. Let's go. Let's go forward. Um, And then you then you turn up the pressure. That's that's what happened at Evergreen. That's what's happening right now. We had three months of quarantine. Everybody's like just stewing. And now we have this huge release of energy, yep. and now this ideology is here to give yep. us cause to give us purpose. And if you actually look at the purpose, it's so universal, and the stakes are so high and so immediate. This is this is the question. There's certain people who are going to get on board with this, and then mm-hmm. eventually say, uh, "Wait, there's something that doesn't add up." Yep. And then there's certain people who get on board with this, and then they rise through the ranks. And I wonder yep. if you have any insight into what kind of people in Scientology eventually like kept on rising through the ranks. Like, is there not certain personality traits, or you know,
1: You're sure orientations? Uh, well, <laughs> okay, I will push back against certain personality types as okay, such. Please because, do, because psychology, we ain't that good yet. We don't have it figured out. I can't talk intelligently about personality types. We don't even... What What is personality? What does that even mean, right? I mean, you start get diving into some of these concepts and you find out it's just air. So, you know, so I will push back on that. But what I will say is that there are, for whatever reason, maybe maybe it has to do with background or education or, you know, in the case of racism, certainly culture, Um, socioeconomic status, I think has a lot to do with it because what I think the real problem in America is classism, not racism. Um, but, um, that make people more susceptible to believing in their victimhood. And then what happens is you start getting social status for it and then you realize Maybe unconsciously, maybe consciously. I think, in fact, that's the difference between the sociopath and the regular person is that the sociopath has a conscious understanding that this is happening and they proceed anyway, Whereas the, the, the person who's not a sociopath, who has empathy, who can understand and wants tolerance and compassion for other people doesn't necessarily have this as a calculated effort. But the path they both go on is using that victimhood to gain more status and more status and control over others so that they don't feel like they have to, that they are a victim anymore. Now they get to be the oppressor and they start cherishing that role. And that's the flip, right? Yeah. That's where, and there's a flip there. And, um, and like I said, sometimes they're not even aware of it. They, you know, they're so caught up in the movement. I was, I didn't think I was oppressing people as a Sea Org member. You're goddamn right, I was. I was doing okay. horrible things to people, you know, in the name of saving the world, in the name of getting their ethics in. We were really big on ethics as a term that was a control term in scientology you could control behavior by calling people ethical or unethical yes that was kind of the the control point right your ethics are out you cheated on your wife how dare you right now we're gonna you know your ethics are out and according to our standards of morality and now we're gonna enforce that on you and once you've got once you give somebody that kind of power and you've in, and you've indoctrinated them into an ideology of us versus them, because us versus them is a big part of this. Black and white thinking and us versus them are are key elements of this. Um, as long as the ideo- ideology is along those lines, you've made a monster,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Because, I was thinking
0: about. Mm-hmm. I was just I was thinking about last night about uh, the inversion of. <clears throat> The principle – the classic principle of civil rights is judging people based on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. That is now being inverted where we are supposed to judge everybody by the color of their skin and the content of their character comes in in doing that. But I was thinking about the the operative term in that formulation is judgment. And one of the things you can actually analyze how this movement is judging people – by reducing them into good or bad people, what you're bringing up with ethical or non-ethical, right? And then the, the counter th- to that is what is, it, what is the role of judging another person? Why do we judge other people? And how do you judge other people in a way that actually unlocks potential rather than creates a, a, a modus of control or locus of control?
1: I was going to look up the characteristics of a destructive cult for you because maybe if we okay. went down some of them, it might help clarify some of these answers.
0: Yeah, go go ahead and look that up.
1: Yeah, a lot, yeah. Doctors Yanya Lalich and Michael Angone put this together. Um, Michael Angone is the head of the International Cultic Studies Association, which is an international group of academic scholars, therapists who uh, work on cult education. And cult recovery efforts. They do workshops and conferences and stuff like that. A lot of books and papers written on this stuff. And Jan Jalowicz is a um, cult survivor, uh, political cult, not a religious cult. And um, it's amazing where cults show up, by the way. Martial arts dojos. Sports clubs. They, it, mm. the, it, it's, it's not all just religious. Wherever sports.
0: particular people congregate.
1: Basically yeah, cause, like I said, it's an abusive relationship. Yeah. So if you get a you know you get an abuser, you get a narcissist, and you get his followers. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. Mm-hmm. Um okay, so in terms of cult patterns, um let me answer the last question you asked first, though, because I feel like that's hanging a little bit. what was What exactly was your question?
0: Well, I was just thinking about the proper way to judge somebody. Because Martin Luther King says, I I want my kids to be judged based on this, not on that. But I think that the mode of judgment in and of itself has been mangled up and we don't really understand the process of judging people and why we judge people and why that's actually something we can't uh, get away from, but it can be hijacked. So I I was just thinking last night about, you know, why do I judge other people? Because I'm not going to stop judging other people, but what's the... The healthy way to do that.
1: Okay, yeah. Well, okay, so first off, the reason for it has to do with social hierarchies, right? Um, I mean, those are not, they are artificial constructs in a way, but they're built into us to do it. We can't help it. We're never going to be able to help it. We always line up based on whatever it is we've been taught is important. So if skin color is taught to you is the important thing, then that's how you're going to line people up. Uh, It's indoctrination, right? It's, you know, children are taught this, wherever they grow up, the values that they learn. And I call it indoctrination because they're not they're, their understanding isn't consulted or can't be consulted because they're not old enough to have judgment yet. And almost all of the deeply held beliefs and, and fundamental ways we operate are indoctrinated into us before we're three years old. Um, the mere fact of where we're born, to whom we're born, to where we go to school, who our friends are going to be, who our parents and relatives are, what religion we're going to be, what language we're going to speak. None of those are left up to us. And every one of the answer to every one of those questions is um, a formative part of our personality. It's fundamental. And we were never consulted about any of it. So, all of those values are basically baked into you before you're able to actually even start thinking about them. So, you know, when you talk about, you know, how do we come to decisions about things? Well, that it it, it varies based on all those factors. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's and it's so that's why we're so wildly different from one person to the mm-hmm. next, because because mm-hmm. you pile all that onto. A genetic lottery that we are that, you know, how our brains and our and our genes are put together is roll of the dice in many ways. So, it, you know, in a way, it's kind of it's kind of amazing. We get along at all. Um, yeah.
0: But there's okay. an ethical and an OK, a, a productive and a non-productive way of evaluating other people, of establishing hierarchies. The postmodernist. Uh, I I think of them as the postmodern Sith because I think there's a good postmodernism and a bad postmodernism, but they, (laughs) their constant rally cry is we're going to dismantle systems of power. We're going to dismantle systems of power. We're going to dismantle systems of power. And uh, okay, well, yeah, but you're just going to institute another system of power. And how do you institute a good system of hierarchy? What is the proper basis of that,
1: that? That's the key question. And, um, The thing is that I I was talking about this the other day on a live stream is there is no such thing as a perfect human system. There is no perfect human system. And I don't know, based on how we think and how we are put together, that there ever will be. And by perfect, I mean, for example, one that everybody would agree with, one that everybody would get along in, one that everybody would be happy with. Because you can't have a group of people get together under any circumstances at all and have everybody on the same page. Because the moment you do, you got a cult.
0: Once, once, you, Im- once you implement a system of hierarchy that has certain rules to it, that yep. polices behavior that yep. I guess you said the the leaving and the, the coming and going is policed and yep. and agreement and disagreement are regulated yep. due to its relationship to certainty. I guess there's uh, there's other qualities and stuff. And that exactly. that is I'm trying to get my head around that in the context of you're working at a grade school. Uh, all of a sudden, Black Lives Matter is the is the the modus operandi of the school that's what happened at evergreen the president came in and said racial inequality is the reason we're here this is the problem of the day and then okay if that then here's anti-racist work and anti-racist work says everybody's racist there's no way around it and white Mm -hmm. people are more racist than other people and Mm -hmm. this and you cannot question it and even if you do question it it's because of your racism. Everything re- revolves around it's that. A whole, so, it's a whole.
1: It's a circular logic. It's it a circular answers logic. Questions you can't get out of the system.
0: And how do you before it before it implement before it's implemented? How do you say to the leader? Say okay, this is the outcome of it. This is the problem with it. This right. these are and, and 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 reserve. Okay, if we want to go down the road of equality, here's an alternative. I don't have the alternative. They, they have developed a very good problem solution set. I don't have an alternative yet.
1: Um, because, yeah, exactly. One, I would say, first off, and I know this isn't necessarily practical, but I'm just going to say it anyway, is um, the president was off the rails in the first place for even bringing it into the university. It was completely non sequitur to the entire purpose of the activity. And it derailed the entire purpose of higher education to bring that into an institute of higher learning because the entire model is built on thought control and censorship of ideas. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so so how is this? You know, to teach about it is certainly something we would want higher education to do. To teach it as a truth and the only truth and the only acceptable truth social truth. That's where it went off the rails. And I can and I'm thinking, I'm wondering maybe you can let me know about this. This guy George, the president, I looked him up a little bit. It wasn't really a whole lot on his Wikipedia page, but it looked to me like he entered into the university already having bought into this bullshit. He,
0: he so, he's been working on it since his for his doctorate, that's what his doctorate was on.
1: Right. He talked about that study that he did where they we're trying to reform the justice system and good on him for doing that because there are inequities yes. in our justice system i'm not going to argue against that I've, i know it for it's true for myself i've, I've seen it so uh, so yeah so you, and and that's the the insidiousness of these things is the degree with which they appear to align with facts yeah. objective facts facts you can't argue yeah. So they so and and that's how these systems of thought always enter in as they go. Well, fact A, fact B, fact C, illogical conclusion, almost non sequitur <laughs> conclusion D. That's that's the that's the entry. The facts are the entry yeah. point,
0: right? And and so, they're really good at covering that leap, that, yeah. that that place between the fact and the belief.
1: That's right. And that's the difference between an intelligent sociopath or narcissist or cult leader, and the unintelligent ones who really never get along in life and don't really get followers and stuff is it's the sneaky, crafty ones who are who figure out those bridges. It's gaslighting, it's confirmation bias. They just run down a litany of logical fallacies that people buy into. And, the, and the, the struggle for us and the thing I've had to learn about over the last seven years is overcoming some, some fundamental ideas that all of us sort of kid ourselves about. We're rational creatures. No, we're not. Right? We are not. Uh, we think, uh, you know, emotions and thought are at war in our heads. No, they're not. Emotions are just another kind of thought. The neurons aren't any different. They're not happening in a special place in your brain. (laughs) It's not that, you know, the the, the Star Trek model kind of gives us this breakdown, but it's an artificial breakdown of Mr. Spock and Bones and Captain Kirk in between, right? And we sort of model this as though this is how our brain works, and it doesn't. Mm -hmm. It's not like that at all. So we are able to be ramped up into fight or flight, Yep. And, and, and then in that mode where, where, yeah. where the frontal lobes are not yeah. the part of the brain that are operating, we buy into bullshit. Yeah. OK.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's exactly what's happening on a massive scale. Everybody's been ramped up all of That's a sudden. And, and exactly. that just shuts down critical, shuts down critical thought. <clears throat> That's right. And it incentivizes shut, uh, shutting down people who exhibit critical thought. And exactly. that we're, we're seeing one person right. after another fired and and right. and and pushed out of their jobs, which right.
1: is, and the which... only the only solution is a one on one. That's why you know I wish somebody had, hit, had sat George down before any of this shit had happened, and said, "Let's walk through the unintended consequences okay. of, some yeah. of this, shall we?" Okay, yeah, you know, and and actually because then you have then you are engaging somebody when their frontal lobes are still going, and if you can't. See, here's when you know you're talking to a cult member, right? Or somebody who has gone down a cult thinking rabbit hole or extremism or whatever word you want to use. Mm. They can't respond rationally to what you're saying. They can't mm. chill themselves out on the topic underhand, under discussion.
0: Yeah,
1: They're constantly in this. Zzzz. You know, you saw that with those girls, the black girls, the one especially. The, fuck him. Fuck all his students. fuck over, Fuck Brett Weinstein. It was just like. You're never gonna reason with her. Yeah, she's yeah. off in some delusional fairy tale land of of existence. She's not seeing you. She's not hearing the words you're saying. This is um this perception thing is real important too. You know about that, right? That people don't see what's in front of them. They see what they think they're gonna see. Um, this is actually neuroscience. It's not my opinion. It's not like mm-hmm. I, I this is some fresh take I have. This is this is actually cutting edge. Uh. Um, Knowledge that's coming out of neuroscience is the way the brain works. It's predicted. It's called predictive. And and it feeds into why we why confirmation bias is a thing. It's not just a psychological model. It's an actual physical thing that's happening. Your brain doesn't perceive and then feed you the information. And then you think about it, you know, and go, "Oh, here's what's happening. Here's, you know, there's an apple on the table in front of me, right?" You, that's it's that's not how it works. What, what how it works is you go through life using your past experiences to predict what's going to be in front of you, and most of the time you're right because you've been in the rooms, you've you know, you've been in your house, you know what it looks like, you know, you familiarize yourself with places and stuff. So you're constantly predicting what's going to be. What you're going to see, what you're going to hear, and what you're going to taste, etc. And um, you know that little shock you get when you run into a wall, or you or you hear something unexpectedly, and you're like, "Whoa!" And you and it almost feels like a little shock. That's the that's the that's the moment when your brain realizes it has not predicted properly, and it's actually newly processing the information it's receiving, and you're like, oh, it wakes you up, right? You're like, ah. That's that process. <laughs> That's a physical process. So she's not hearing you. She's hearing what she thinks you're saying, Yeah. right? This is a really, really important part. I, I don't think I've really gotten this across to too many people as, like, the, the level of importance of it. But it's it's super important to understanding why people don't hear you or don't see you or don't respond to you in odd ways. It's because they are already sure— yeah, And remember about what we were saying about certainty. Yeah, yeah. The cult indoctrination makes it so that they're less and less willing to reevaluate what they're hearing and seeing because they already know what you're going to say. They already yeah. know yeah. who you are. They already know everything about you. They don't have to listen to you. I don't yeah. have to listen to Brett Weinstein. Fuck that guy. Yeah. He's a racist. His emails proved it. You know, you read into these emails. I, I'd like to see the whole email chain. There wasn't anything racist in there, no. no. But but these guys are so indoctrinated into everything's racist. You know, it was like yeah. Anita yeah. Sarkeesian years ago. Everything's sexist. Everything's you know. It's just like. <laughs>
0: well, here's, here's a question for you, and maybe you can draw on your your personal experience, um, but also your learned experience from other people. Yeah, is that there's a there's a sunk cost. Yeah, fallacy fall- going on where and and it's tied to their status. That if they do see the problems with this, what yep. they've bought into, uh, then yep. they're going to lose face. Right. And I've been like thinking about this for a few years. It's like okay, eventually, eventually these I was used I I used to call them social justice warriors, but now it's just American citizens because everybody's a social justice warrior <laughs> now. <Right. laughs> So eventually they're going to be confronted by uh, such a strong amount of cognitive dissonance or whatever. Yep. And they're going to have to go down that uncomfortable path of of just admitting their shame. But there's got to be a middle ground where you can just ease people in or, or you just let them fall. Right. Like, how do you how do you give them a little bit of wiggle room to think through things without having to defend their status, having to defend their Oh
1: Yeah, you have to talk about it in third person. You always have you. You avoid personal pronouns for one. Right. It's not about you. Okay, if you want to convince somebody, if you want to convince a Scientologist that they're in a cult, you educate them about how the JWs are a cult. You see what I mean? Okay. You okay. you make it non-threatening. Okay. Uh, this is super important because uh, that's again it's 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 taking great care to avoid their fight or flight kicking in. If you make them feel defensive, their fight or flight kicks in. If yeah. you make them put if you put them on the spot, if you ask them challenging questions to them. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so it's 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 uh it, they're going to double down triple down quadruple down, and after they've quadrupled down, you know again this has to do with biology you know neural pathways are being literally strengthened by doing that that's what habits are so uh, that's what, how we, what that's do you
0: mean how... so they're, they're habituated to just
1: to not it's... accept
0: any criticism whatsoever at any yeah. level
1: yeah exactly you you can get a person extremism is a thought. Process that is unimpeded by any doubts or uncertainties, right? So it's it's kind of a mainline highway that's been built in your brain through repetition. This is why thought-stopping cliches and mantras are so important to cult indoctrination. You keep repeating the same pieces of information over and over and over again. It's literally making it's it's drawing highways in in your brain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you so the only way to overcome that is to is to rewrite that that neuro, neuro, neurology, right? And the only way to do that is the guy has to the way I used to the way I put it is they build a thought fortress. We all have them. We all have our deeply held beliefs. We have our thought fortress. You're never ever going to change somebody's mind by battering at the walls. You can't a frontal assault will hardly ever tear down those walls. If it's a strong enough assault over a long enough period of time, you'll break through those walls. But we call that torture. Yeah. Right.
0: So brainwashing. Yeah. We
1: don't don't want that. We want. So. So what you have to do is you have to get the person to invite you in. It's the only way. Mm-hmm. To, to, to change the hearts and minds, right? So, and, you, and the only way you'll get invited in is if you're considered at least not an enemy, maybe not a friend, but you can't be an enemy. You don't invite enemies into your home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, what you said earlier reminded me of the Upton Sinclair quote, it's difficult to get a man to, to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, same thought, right? The whole confirmation bias mm-hmm. thing.
0: You, you made um, me think of that um, on on Twitter and on social media. When somebody says a statement that's out there, you know, like one of these statements that's out there, somebody will come along and say, "Repeating it doesn't make it true." Yep. But that's not. It's actually that
1: repeating it does
0: make it real. Yes, Repeating it does make it real. So right. to, for an example, we don't have to go down this path, but trans women are women, trans women are women, trans women are women. The people just repeat it. And then when somebody says something against that, like J.K. Rowling did, like, no, women are women, trans women are trans women. They, it's like, no, that's not real. You, you, you are wrong. You were, right. wrong, you were wrong, you are wrong, and we are going to push you out, and we're going to slam you down. And no matter yep. what you say, we're going to burn your books or scribble your name off the books because we love the books so much. That's, That's what right. One opinion writer even said that, that J.K. Rowling should stop writing now. A writer told another writer to stop writing.
1: Right. And they don't even see the ridiculousness of what they're saying. Yeah. Right? To them, it makes total sense. I used to rail against psychiatry. Mm-hmm. Scientology has a huge problem with psychiatry. Why? Because uh, Hubbard was knocking the competition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, in nineteen and, and and in all fairness, in nineteen fifty, when Hubbard came up with Dianetics and Scientology, seventy years ago, psychiatry was very different, and it was barbaric. There's no there's no other words for it. You know, transorbital
0: lobotomies.
1: Trans- you know, they were ripping people apart. I mean, the nineteen fifty psychiatrists were still wearing lab coats. You know, I mean it was it was bad. And they were butchers. And uh and he and he did and he definitely had points in speaking up against it. Psychology and psychiatry have evolved quite a bit since then, but Scientology doesn't recognize that evolution because L. Ron Hubbard's words are always true. And his words being true, trump reality. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what happens in cults is, is that is, is it's not, doesn't have to be true. It just has to be reality, right? This is going to be my new reality. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, so. I saw a video a few years ago of whoever the David, uh, Mikovich or uh, whoever's Mikevich, got- um, there was this big ceremony about they found new, new books right? Yep. They, we found yep. the new revelation and like well how does the <laughs> cult update its belief system like yep. there's a new we found a new hole in the ground that's right, that's <laughs> well, right. we're going to pull this stuff out but it has that's to right. update so these systems have to update and yes. how they go about updating themselves is I guess another way of investigating uh, their true claims or their, their ties to reality
1: that's right. Exactly. With uh, the Mormons you have the prophets. Right? There's always a living prophet and he is the guy who can or or a number of them, but it's certainly at least one who can rewrite their scriptures or their dogma. I mean, up until 1979, black people were, you know, that was the mark of Cain in mm-hmm. the Mormon religion. If you were if you were if you were a black person, that meant you had in a in the past you had fought in the army of rebellious angels against God. And that's why you're black. That was literally their scriptures. That was their dogma is that's why black people existed until 1979, when they had a new prophecy, a new revelation. Right? Oh, hey, no, we were wrong about that. But they never say we were wrong. They just say, oh, here's the new revealed truth mm-hmm. that suddenly gays are okay in the Mormons, you know, or, or kind of becoming okay, right? Again, because mm-hmm. it was a statement from the prophet. With Miscavige, he gets to find not new books, what he actually said, and you might find this intriguing because it's an interesting fine point. The transcriptionists and the typists and the editors who had worked on L. Ron Hubbard's works had messed it up. See, L. Ron Hubbard's infallible, so you can't fuck with L. Ron Hubbard, but... The people who translated L. Ron Hubbard's works, right? The editors, the copywriters, the typists, they messed it all up. Yeah. And now yeah. we've got it all fixed because we found it and we corrected it. And literally what they just got away with is rewriting L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, but they did it in this crafty way, you know, so it's just a it's a little fine point, but it's an interesting one.
0: When you brought up uh, doubling, tripling, quadrupling down, that's what the Evergreen State College has done. And they've gone so far as to, I suspect, pay a company to scrub me from the internet or or heavily downrank me on on Google, um, because I keep on presenting this evidence that they are going down the wrong path. Plus, they're paid to not make up for their mistakes. But just thinking about how I'm treated as a voice in Washington, locally, and mm. how it's kind of known that I am alt-right, that I'm an alt-right individual who's pushing these ultra-conservative ideas because I'm yep. presenting as clearly as possible, and I do make missteps, and I do use wit, and I do use mockery sometimes, so I'm not, like, this clean, perfect image, and I don't claim to be, but but because I'm presenting such uncomfortable material with regards to the Evergreen State College, and and I, I'm I'm sure within the next six weeks we will have incontrovertible evidence that what happened at the Evergreen State College was really the the pilot program. Like yep. the, the ways that everybody's acting, the way that the leadership is acting, it's not just some crazy college in the woods. It's not right. anymore.
1: Right. And, That's and why I would like to have you on my podcast, by the way. Because I'd like to walk through the story with you yeah. in exactly that context. Because I've already been saying stuff on my channel about some of this stuff too. I had Doctor Lindsay on a couple times on my podcast, and we've broken this stuff down. And um, James, James Lindsay, James Lindsay. Oh, yeah,
0: I didn't know that. He's
1: yeah. an awesome guy. I, I we did a we did a podcast just a couple of weeks ago called the uh, the rise and fall of wokeness.
0: Yeah, <laughs> is it falling? <laughs> or is well, just going to bring I, everything you know, down. <laughs> I,
1: I, I, I think I get I get less pushback. On 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 ridiculing that term than I thought I would. Uh, So so that's why I think there's a little bit of a curve to that, because I know a lot of people who are sick and fucking tired of of the woke crowd. Yeah. You know, because they see that these people are, you know, one thing that we can get wrapped up in in our own activism and i've had to reel myself back a few times as a content creator and ex-scientologist or ex-cult member and getting into these communities is we can ourselves because we're so hyper aware of the problem can over exaggerate it in our own heads too i've had many days where i have been sitting contemplating the end of the world because i thought we were on the brink of some kind of like horrible thing that was about to happen Because of, you know, I'm so hyper aware of some of these groups and what they get up to. And then you kind of have to take a break for a few days, get off social media and realize Oh yeah, you know, it's it, it's okay. We're we're gonna be okay. <laughs> you know? we, 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 and it's always a little. You always have to be as an activist. We have a little trepidation with that because we also don't want to undervalue it or try to make it less than it really is too. And I think that I think the words we're saying right now about this evergreen thing being a pilot program that will, you know, that is expanding right now. I think what we're seeing is we're seeing opportunism. We're seeing a we're seeing a, you know, not the end result of a carefully crafted conspiracy. We're seeing a, a confluence of events that have allowed these people to step up into the public forum in a way that they couldn't before. And I think I think, it, you know, in a, it's always hard to tell when you're in the middle of it, of hist- of history. But um, in fact, it's impossible really to tell everything that's going on. But I think if none of this would have happened, if COVID hadn't happened. None of this would be happening right now, you know, because we've had a lot of black people killed by a lot of black cops uh, over the last few years. And it, and, it, and this didn't happen. Why mm. did this happen? Because everybody was fucking stir crazy. That's why. Did you notice how I, I tried to bring this up to people and push back a little bit? And nobody appreciated it. Do you notice how <laughs> you're going to like this? Um uh okay so all the right you know uh, the, the 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 hillbillies and the hicks and the white trash and all that can't wait to go get their haircuts and and go to restaurants and go out and, and and go to the beaches of florida and spring break and all that happened right and and all my left friends are like those bastards science 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 right and how dare they and they're going to die and we're going to get another spike and they're, ah! but they're going crazy inside right cuz they're like oh, i'm stuck inside so, um, so they're talking science, science, science. And then as soon as this happens, ah, protests and they all go hit the streets and you go, what about the science? Bah, social justice
0: is more important. Well, yeah, yeah. No, they, they literally say that it, there was, I think it was NPR that, that came out with why anti-racism is worse, is, is more important than, than the virus. And why these why these protests are so important right now. And then like 16 hours later, a day later, they're like, oh, my God, Trump is going to have rallies. Trump is going to have rallies like all the people are going to die. Like, wait, hold
1: on. Right. And they don't even see the hypocrisy. They don't see it. I really I tried to point this out and nobody was having it there. Nope. No, it's different, it's different, it's different and you're just like, no, it's not different. you fucking asshole. it's not different. <laughs> you are putting people's lives. people are gonna die because of these protests and you yeah. fucking people think you have the moral high ground and you don't yeah and yeah. I finally just said, okay, whatever I, I somebody somebody tried to tweet out something about um Something the right was doing with NASCAR or with something else, and I was like, yeah. you lost the moral high ground weeks ago. Just <laughs> shut up. <laughs> you know, you lost it, man. You got no moral high ground right now to be lecturing anybody about going outside. Mm-hmm. Just shut up. Let me go over these characteristics with you because I think you might find some of these interesting and useful. I hope useful. please. Um, there is no definitive checklist is the is first the disclaimer here, okay? There's no cult. Of a cult, okay. Of a destructive cult. Every single group and every single situation has to be analyzed on its own merits. Okay, I got to stress that from the beginning because this isn't a black and white thing, and I always, always take care to to stress that because, of course, we're talking about black and white thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, the group displays excessively zealous and unquestioning commitment to its leader. And whether he is alive or dead, regards his belief system, ideology, and practices as the truth, capital T, as law. Okay? So excessively zealous and unquestioning commitment. Okay, second point. Questioning, doubt, and dissent are discouraged or even punished. Uh, Mind-altering practices, such as meditation, chanting, speaking in tongues, denunciation sessions, and debilitating work routines, are used in excess and serve to suppress doubts about the group and its leader. I used to have to go out and dig ditches and shit, right? You have to go out and do hard physical labor to contemplate the error of your ways, this kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, debilitating, so mind altering practices are used to excess. Um, in, in TM, in transcendental meditation, we see people sitting for eight hours a day chanting their mantra to themselves. With the idea that they're going to levitate, hmm. and you do it for days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months, you know your your, ch- your children are being abandoned, your life is falling apart, but you're and you know but but it, with TM at the highest levels, they even believe that all that chanting and every hour they spend doing um, their uh, meditation is actually. Deconstructing some evil in the world. Yes. Okay, they're saving yeah. the world through their yeah. meditation. You know, yeah.
0: I wonder. I wonder if that translates into all the likes that you get on your Twitter post, right? Like that—that that somehow you can change the world by accumulating enough agreement to your yep. statement.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Plus, of course, you know, we can't get away from social hierarchies. It's built into us. Uh, I think. What was it? Height said it's ninety uh, percent monkey, ten percent bee is what Mm -hmm. human beings are, right? Like, it's intrinsic in us. It's not something we have to think about. It's not something we can avoid or get away from any more than we have an eyes and a nose. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. structure ourselves. We automatically line up. Uh, The only question is what we line up on. And generally speaking, the most powerful or strongest personality in the room is what's going to determine what we're going to line up on. Because we're also built to... We're literally built to accede to an authority figure. Mm -hmm. It's just natural in us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we want to be the authority figure sometimes, but a lot of people don't. They're okay with being followed.
0: Generally speaking, some of the things that you're talking about are the wearing down of personal agency personal authority and the acceding of it more and more and reinforcing it into yes. a, a central locus being the leader. Yes. The The thing is that we didn't talk about, but that I've been wondering about is the non is the crowdsourced nature of what happened at the Evergreen State College. There there were pockets of, of leaders, but it was a it was a swarm like it really didn't have mm-hmm. an, and a lot of these movements right now. And I think. I want to be careful. Black Lives Matter. Uh, it's 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 non-centralized, so there's a lot of movements within that movement. But largely speaking, it's moving in concert to attain something. I don't know, or just uh, you know, just batter something down. I don't know. But do you have any thoughts about the non-leader cult? Is that such a thing possible? And it is. where is that leadership located?
1: Well, okay, so. What you're actually talking about is more of a sociological phenomena of a, of a hive or group mentality, which is also, of course, built into us, which is different from a cult relationship. Okay. They're actually two okay. different things. Their behavior is very similar, though. And okay. what we need to pay a lot of attention to with these kind of movements, especially with this, is the prior laying in of the indoctrination. You get enough people feeling like they are victims, feeling like they are living in a system of oppression, right, convinced of this ideology. They all become ideologues. Mm-hmm. And they're all on the same page because of that mass indoctrination. And so then it only takes little pushes, little reminders by strong voices like that black girl. Right. Fuck. She starts screaming. You know, well, why is she doing that? Because she's having her influence on the entire group, keeping them ramped up. Whereas, you know, they're receiving rational communication from Brett. He's like, hey, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's it. It's not a reasoned response. It's fuck him. Fuck Brett Weinstein. It riles everybody up again. So <laughs> so there's that sociological phenomenon of we don't operate well. Human beings don't do the um the drone mind thing super well for extended periods yes. of time. We're not as we're not as simple as bees and ants. Yeah. We however, for short periods of time, we can be hypnotized we can be put into this group mind situation in good and bad contexts this is why everybody loves going to concerts Mm -hmm. because you're all one you're all in there it's all a thing right i used to love going to midnight showings of movies and i would tell people the reason why is because everybody in the room wants to be there Mm -hmm. sacrificed a bit to be there it's a midnight show but we're all on the same page. And you can feel that excitement when the movie's about to start. Yeah, you know, the previews come on. Everybody's like, yeah, baby, you know, like it's <laughs> a thing that we get into. It's a feeling. And I've been I've been um, I've been putting some ideas together about, you know, that that maybe there is another kind of life there that we sort of create. Um, It certainly feels like it, and and it just takes a little nudge, a little voice, a little thing popping up uh, that people will respond to. And you can move that group. You can move that mind. And that's yes. kind of that okay. phenomenon. Does that that's what sense? you were
0: talking about earlier about opportunists. We're seeing a lot of opportunists. So you have that high of surge that's only going to last for so long. People are going to expend right. that energy. Um, that's right. But in that wake, they're implementing as much as possible, which Think some it. of it's going to have to be rolled back. But they're doing yep. really good at, at shotgunning it everywhere. So we'll that's see right. how, right. how much
1: Those books are selling out everybody's getting on board this thing, but you know, what's going to happen. I mean, you know, what's going to happen with that because these people are practically unreadable. I mean, they are so hard to get through their stuff and the average American don't get it. So they're going to buy the books, but they'll just sit on a shelf. My wife has stacks of feminist literature, right? And it's, and, and she's great. She's amazing. She's wonderful, but she had some pretty different ideas, Than she has now that we've done, you know, years of talking things Mm -hmm. through and working stuff out. And she used to think that there was a lot more oppression going on than there is. There is oppression. You know, again, there's fact based reasons for some of this stuff. But is it as much as we, you know, as, as it's somehow made out to be? No, of course
0: not. And how much are you reinforcing the oppression by believing in the oppression or or allowing for a new form of oppression? I mean, you adulate oppression by being against oppression to a certain degree. Like you were saying with being content creators against this stuff, we can yep. actually reinforce it. Exactly. If, if we're not oh, really careful.
1: That's why I want to push critical thinking. Yep. You know, I did, I again, this live stream I did a couple of days ago, just as a point. I didn't go on and start pushing back against Black Lives Matter. I'm not going to do that. That'd be, that'd be suicide right now, right? I'm not, and besides, I don't even believe that. I think that there are good things. I do think Black Lives Matter. I do think that there are injustices and, and inequities that need to be dealt with. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and say it's all a cult. And somebody asked me that. They said, is, it a, is BLM a cult? I said, no, it's not. You know, I said there are some cultic aspects to it, though. And we need to pay attention to those or we're going to end up going off the damn cliff. That's how I put it. So, you know, because we need to be nuanced in how we talk about this stuff. If we become ourselves black and white thinkers and push us versus them on our audiences, we're doing them a disservice. It's harder and slower, though, because people are slower to respond to that kind of thing because they have to think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And and thinking's hard.
0: Yeah, it is yeah, in, it's not easy.
1: I don't say that in an insulting way, it's just a fact. Yeah. People yeah. don't want to think about stuff. It takes up too much energy. It's hard to do. Mm-hmm. You know? So um so I try to push this is why I identify Oh yeah, I didn't tell you this, but um, your identity. My identity. <laughs> I'm the critical thinker at large. I'm not at the psychologist at large. Yeah, I call myself a critical thinker at large because um, it's a joke, actually. But it, well, the way it happened was, I was—I my original website. I lived in Minnesota, and when I first started speaking out against Scientology, I thought I was going to be in Minnesota for a good long time. So my website is mncriticalthinking.com because it was Minnesota Critical Thinker. I thought, mm. okay, that's a that's an identity. I'll grab that one, right? Nobody else in Minnesota is grabbing that. And I wanted to be known for critical thinking, not for the, not for being an ex-Scientologist. I knew I had more to say than just Scientology stuff, mm-hmm. um, even though for the first few years, that's all I talked about. Um, but then I moved. I left Minnesota. I came to Denver. And I was like, well, shit, I can't keep calling myself the Minnesota critical thinker. So that's where critical thinker at large came from. Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's that's why i call myself that but i try to push critical thinking i made a lot of videos about critical thinking and i and i think that if if anything i used to i used to feel like somehow we could eradicate irrational thinking
0: oh really that was that was how you're going to save the world
1: yeah that's right and I have thoroughly been disabused of those ideas now. <laughs> so, but through education, not through, you know, um, dejection. I, I, it's mm-hmm. just a matter of changing your ideas. Now, like I said, I had to lose the certainty. I had to lose the whole I am saving the world thing. It took me a long time to get over that, man. Yeah, took no, a- it's a,
0: you, you see that a lot. People going from one, uh, one system of belief to another let's say, the the addict that becomes an evangelical Christian. The pitch of his behavior and the narrowness of his thought is the same, he just yep. maybe believes in a system that will eventually allow him to become flexible over time or not, yep. but it'll save him in, from at least the drugs, right? Um, but you see the people hopping from one fundamentalism to another. Uh, and it's really difficult to do that much. To one,
1: according to one therapist who's, uh, who did a study on this, that I was at a conference for, 80% recidivism, right? You jump from one cult to another. 80% chance that you're going to go from one cult to another or go mm. back into the cult you left because they can't deal with that emotional uncertainty. Okay, It's, it's hard. I, I tell you it is the biggest struggle I have had is, is going from a worldview where I had answers to important questions. Maybe they weren't the right answers but I thought they were and I was sure they were right. And that is such a wonderful place to be compared to the chaos of reality. (laughs) I mean, the chaos of reality sucks. There's no answers. We really don't know what's up. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what happens when you die. No, we don't know where the universe came from. No, we don't actually know what's underneath an atom. No, we don't know if this is all a simulation or not. No, we don't know what an emotion is. No, we don't know what consciousness is. Well motherfuck what the fuck do you know you know like after a while you're like mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: well and what what escape
1: to Elron Hubbard's answers at least he's
0: got some yeah know? yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's um to present a flexibility of thought is difficult to do because you have to get used to i guess not just not knowing like i can't remain in a state of of ignorance i can't i have to know or i have to rather have a relationship with knowledge so i can right. i can have a relationship with understanding and and not not go into nihilism because I have to be alive. I kind of right. want to be now that I'm used to it. For a while I didn't but now okay. that I'm used to it right. um, yeah. and I want to think so I have to think about yeah. something and so I, I don't know what you mean by critical thought. I don't know what I mean by critical thought. My 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 funny title is The Voice of Reason but I'm very unreasonable in a lot of ways. But I, I'm trying to model a relationship like you, somebody asked me do I not believe in facts because I said, I said I was I was a postmodernist. They're like, well, do you not believe in truth? I'm right. like, well, l- let me reframe that. And this is cheesy. But a dancer doesn't believe in gravity. They see how much they can get away with. Right? So I don't believe or disbelieve in truth. I want to see what works, what doesn't. What I, I'm, I'm playing here. I'm, I am being playful. Um, and I think that critical thinking, I don't understand if it has a certain set of beliefs so much as I understand it as a way of engaging, I'm going to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Or do you, what's your conception of, of critical thinking at large? Like what is the stance? What is the?
1: It's, it's open. It's being open to information. It is being willing to question anything and everything, that there are no sacred truths, there is no knowledge that cannot be questioned. There is, no, there is no ultimate expression of truth that we're basically capable of, which I do know is a postmodern idea. However, I will immediately pull that back down to earth with, however, you and I have to get along. Mm-hmm. So we're going to mm-hmm. have to agree on a few things. Now, whether those things are objectively true or not doesn't matter. As long as you and I are proceeding from the same platform of this is how things are, we can move forward in some fashion. And as we discover more about the world, those things that we agree are objectively true can become more and more real or testable or verifiable through scientific method. Because And scientific method is only useful because it's the only methodology we've come across or, or discovered or utilized in all of our history that establishes this baseline of what we're going to agree is true. It might, might be true, but we can agree because we can test it and verify it and go, well, we keep testing it and it seems to work this way. You agree with it. I agree with it. It doesn't take our subjective reality to agree it's true you see it the same way i see it you hear it the same way i hear it so that's what we're going to call truth
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. you know and it's testable
0: it's replicatable and that's the weird thing about the way in which this particular movement has hopped across the world like it's a very Mm -hmm. american story but now it's overtaken europe and australia and uh I, I, I haven't heard of any uh, Asian countries I, I really don't think that Asians will adopt this but we'll we'll see I mean writ large and I don't mean that as a racist thing but I just don't think that they're no uh, they're culturally
1: uh, so different is yeah. why we're you know I, I I love let me let me ask you what you think of this I, this is my this is my ultimate abductio ad absurd you know re, reductional yeah. that absurd of of mankind of the difference between the cultures but between east and west is west reduces down to me not we mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and eastern cultures reduce down to we not me hmm. you know it's reductionist but yeah awareness of their place in their societies yeah. their yeah. awareness of the group survival being important and maybe more important than their individual survival yeah. is yeah. what makes them so radically different from us who put individual liberty and survival above that of the group and all mm-hmm. of our movies and books and everything reinforce this it's been a staple of western thinking since you know for centuries
0: there's so, this uh, on on one level there's this um and I'm just speaking clichés but like a American Buddhist, there's always something a little off about them to me. I, like, I, I, I think right. that the 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 principles of the Buddha are rooted in such a different operating system. Yep, and I don't know all the qualities of that operating system than the the operating system of the West. And right. I think that there are things that are applicable to the East and West with regards to the knowledge that we make in the world. And and science is one of those things that you see is implemented. By the East as much as the West, and it's just the the structures that they build around funding it, or or what they do with it might be different. But like it, it, it that's cross cultural for sure. Yep. Um, yep. And yeah, I,
1: and I'm talking about basically a different approach to life.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's but you, you can sense there's a, a different orientation in their family structures, in their respect right. for authority, and then you see how different ideas can hijack the East and hijack the West and the ways in which let's just say communism goes through America or socialism or whatever has gone through Europe, the European brain and, and how it, how it has gone through the, the Eastern uh, mindset. Let's just say not the, the in, in not a physical sense, but just the operating systems implement it differently.
1: Yeah. 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 I think, I, th- I think that's true. I think you have uh, really vast differences and I think that, um, I had to have somebody, I had to have a friend of mine who actually lived in China, who came over for a weekend and we were hanging out, Explain to me how things are in China. You know, and it was like, oh, and that's where I twigged on all this. I was like, oh, my God, now I get it. Because I I, you know you can't how do all have these billions of people and how do they put up with all this crap that they have to put up with and this you know this clearly authoritarian dictatorship government that they all just yeah. kind of go along with and mm-hmm. all this mm-hmm. stuff but when you realize that as Americans their view of the world is so radically different than ours at such fundamental levels that it, it, it that it's it's amazing we can speak at all you know mm-hmm. in in some ways you know mm-hmm. and 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 often many key ideas are lost in the translation because we're coming at understanding the words they're using from a whole different cultural context mm-hmm. you know and it's it's amazing when you get into the nuance of it and really try to understand it and uh um I don't know exactly where I'm going with that, except that orientation's different yeah, yeah, I and wonder
0: at, if it's exacerbated point,
1: We're more susceptible to cultic thinking on an individual level though
0: could you expound on that
1: Well, the Chinese won't even let Scientology into their country <laughs> for example um, but they don't glom on. You know, this 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 individualistic goal of personal spiritual freedom and immortality, the same way Westerners do. Westerners are it's all about me,
0: yeah, salvation.
1: To, you know, my salvation, right? They're more family centric in China, India too, as I understand it, right? So they're more like, what is this going to do for not just me but for my whole family? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, mm-hmm. they're thinking constantly in those kind of terms. You know, when you know, if you knew in your culture that your parents were the people that you were going to be taking care of when you hit 40 or 50 and you planned your life accordingly, you'd have a very different life from the way we live our lives. You'd spend your money differently. You'd, you'd, your relationship with them would be different. You know, it would be radically different. And that's just one difference yeah. we yeah. have, with you know. So yeah. that's kind of that's what I meant by that.
0: Well, it it seems to me there, there's already um, and there's certain lines of criticism within uh, the uh, anti-racist doctrine about the good white and the bad white, and it really does break down on you have to prove that you're not just doing this for your own salvation. So they they bring you in because it, it promises to save the world and save you from the stain of racism, but you have to very carefully navigate that and say, well, this isn't about this is there's all these tricks that really do prey upon individuality and strip yep. it by reinforcing it in a, in an unhealthy way it seems.
1: Well, they they've literally rewritten biology in a way because hmm. Um, one of the things that I learned from Robert Sapolsky, and he is a, um, he was an evolutionary biologist who taught at Stanford. Great guy. Really, really interesting. Mm. And probably, I've seen his lectures, yeah. Oh, you did? You, you see the ones on human behavioral biology?
0: Yeah, there's like 30 of them. They're like yeah, f- absolutely fascinating. That, that
1: long course that he did. Yeah. yeah. That changed my life. That really put in place a lot of the thinking that, that I mm. then used in talking to neuroscientists and sociologists and biologists. When he talked about the different bins of knowledge and how there's different levels of truth mm. and how when you evaluate things, you're evaluating them according to these various buckets of knowledge. You know, you can look at free will. The free will argument holds up at the neurological level. It falls apart at the sociological and psychological levels, though. So it's kind of like, well, is it true? Well, at this level, it is. But if you look at it from a different perspective, it's not. You know, it's a relative thing. Yeah. Uh, it is true. But then again, is it? You know, so it's how all, are
0: cults you know, or this cult in particular rewriting biology. Well, I mean, we've gone through. I example,
1: mean, they say that you are unworthy because your altruism is based on your own survival on your own. You know, you only help us because it helps you. And they use this as a cudgel of guilt and shame. Well, guess what, folks? Ain't nobody doing nothing if they don't think it somehow serves their best interests. That's how we survive. (laughs) The very equation that Sapolsky taught me in that class, the most basic equation of life is tit for tat. That's the most fundamental understanding life has. Mm. And all the way down to the molecular level, practically, right? It's almost like the decision life made in order to be life was one day a rock got hit by another rock and said, fuck that, and hit the (laughs) rock back, right? And then suddenly we had life. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) So the idea that you're ever going to do something for purely altruistic reasons is a total fantasy and they have made it that that's a bug when it's a biological feature yeah yeah that's what they, i mean by writing biology
0: in another conversation i either heard this or i think i heard this uh that that these systems are pathologizing normalcy and yes. normalizing pathology
1: yes it, that is beautiful that is a beautiful little uh, meme.
0: Couplet. Yeah,
1: meme. Yeah, couplet. That's right. That's exactly how to put it. And, and they, have, they villainize good people for trying to be good people. You're, you're a villain no matter what role you wear. You're right. only as good an ally as I say you are. You're o- you only get to ally according to the ways I say you get to ally. I'm the black person in the room. You don't get to tell me about my experience. Well, fine, I won't tell you about your experience, but don't tell me about mine. Yeah.
0: that th- That's don't. one of the fascinating things about the evergreen situation is that the, the kids uploaded everything they did to the Internet because they already knew that they were right and everybody I, would agree with them. And the shot. professors, too, and this is the breakdown for me, is that the professors went and either lied or ignorantly claimed that the students did in, did nothing wrong, that Brett Weinstein did something wrong for speaking to the outside about what was happening here by going on Tucker Carlson, by going on Rubin and Rogan, right? That was his sin that caused the backlash to their behavior. Their behavior was justified within the system, and it was just de- decontextualized as something bad. And and they all got on that. It was another way that they doubled down because the teachers taught the students to do that, and to this day they cannot own up to that. They yeah. cannot own up to uh, that we did this. They're still championing the class of 2020 as like the uh,
1: it's, it, it, it's blindness. Hmm. It's 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 just blind. There, that's the thing about where I was talking earlier about. We see what we want to see or to see, not what's really there. Hmm. I can't. I can't emphasize enough the power of that piece of information, to our to our thinking, to our cognitive processes. It's uh, it's uh, beyond important. It is it is, it it's like seminal to how we think.
0: And, in in critical thinking is the learned behavior to allow to put yourself into a position where you can safely be surprised I suppose to interact with to, to gain that predictive capacity to, I guess to to gain uh, s- places or instances where you can suspend that predictive capacity in order to interact with new information or to glean new information out of old mm. uh, exact stimulus
1: it's, it's it's the concentrated effort to overcome your impulse to make assumptions. To uh, to to assume that what you think is true is true rather than what's really there, what you're really perceiving. Um, It's a it's a training because we don't organically think that way, Mm -hmm. you know, and the more we're learning, the more we are learning how we think. But we're we're pretty sure about this you know, this is the rational thinking and all that, this whole thing that that Socrates argued about and Aristotle and all these guys were struggling with this exact thing, mm-hmm. but they didn't understand the neuroscience of it. They thought emotions were one thing and thoughts were another. Now, they're same thing, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so they can, cons- they created these artificial constructs of emotions versus reason, you know, or the little demon inside of you or whatever. And, And that's carried forward for thousands of years and has been the basis of our philosophy. But now neuroscience and psychology are showing us
0: it's a little more complicated than that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that we'll come up with uh, a tentative uh, kind of philosophy or or conception of the human being? Um, And I think that. Maybe it's going overboard to bring up this, but I think that insofar as the West has lost Christianity, we lost an uber narrative. We lost something that can tie the very intelligent to the very, uh, I guess, the, the upper to the lower. There's no, there's no place where we can all agree on something. We have uh, constantly propositions of the American dream, and now the American nightmare is the common mythos um, that we're living through. Um, And, uh, do, do you think that, have you come up with some sort, some formula, I guess, critical thinking might be the formula for you of, of allowing everybody to have a common goal, a common narrative, a common nation, a common interest. Is there such a thing that can unite all these different people and these different tribes and these different, uh,
1: I don't think so. I don't think that at the end of the day, there's anything that's going to unify us, um, you know, I thought about this actually quite a bit in terms of, um, when I was giving up my saving the world concepts, um, and, 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 and habits. Um, first I had to realize that there is no such thing as saving the world. The world doesn't need saving. It's like George Carlin said, right? This, the world's not going anywhere. We are <laughs> <Right>? the <world's laughs> planet doesn't need saving is actually how he put it. Right. Remember that, mm-hmm. uh, planet doesn't need saving. It's not going anywhere. Um, No one in all of history has ever come up with an idea that united everybody. We can't all agree that we need to breathe. We can't all agree that the world's round. We can't all agree that, you know, death is the end. There's not one thing we all agree on. The closest thing, the closest person who comes up to getting the most agreement on this planet is Jesus Christ. And he probably wasn't even real, probably never even existed. Just a fucking construct, you know, (laughs) of a bunch of people through time that, 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 that built this mythos, you know, and the, and what is the, what are the common agreements there? You know, that we will live beyond this life, that there is a God who created us and will allow us to, you know, that, that created us in sin and we are unworthy and we must somehow strive for to be better. And by doing so, we will earn our place in eternity. Right. And we will gain personal immortality. I, that, that's the core. I thought, you were, of,
0: right? well, I, I thought the core. I'm going to disagree. I thought the core of what Christ said was love your enemy as yourself. It was just teaching.
1: That was something he said, but that's not why people follow him. Hmm. They follow him because it, he offers a message of personal immortality. A, a a world beyond this world of suffering and pain and sin. Okay. There's a there's a hope factor there, in other words, that life can be better. Yeah. That it will be better if you believe strongly enough. Now, along with that comes this behavior code or ethics code of treat other people well. Don't you know, don't don't piss in your own cornflakes and don't piss in theirs. You know, mm-hmm. be nice to each other, turn the other cheek, all that kind of stuff. We all of us atheists argue so hard because the Old Testament says exactly the opposite of all that shit. And somehow they, you know, cognitive dissonance their way through it. Um, but at the end of the day, the thing that is driving people to believe in that it comes down to that selfish altruism. Right. I'll be good because I will be rewarded. Mm-hmm. Right. That's really at the end of the day that's the basic sentiment of religion is I will be good because I will be rewarded.
0: <laughs> Do you, are you free from needing a reason to be good? Are you, are you, have you achieved a, a purposelessness? Uh...
1: No, I, I, uh, I think that we should be good to each other because it's how we make a good society that, that advances the interests of everybody in it. So I'm, 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 Maybe that's an altruistic point of view, or maybe it's just a recognition that we're all part of something that we're trying to create together. And we, if we're going to do this to everybody's maximal benefit, then we need to get along, not fight each other. Mm. That's why I try to be good.
0: So, okay, so to go back to my question, how do we get everybody to get along? If we, if we let go of people not agreeing,
1: can yeah, we agree agreeing. to
0: get along?
1: Yes, we have to train people to agree to disagree, and we have to make it okay. This is where tolerance comes in. You know, people think tolerance means agreement. It doesn't. It has nothing to do with agreement. I can tolerate your existence without agreeing with any part of it. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, we've got to get over ourselves as far as our own beliefs and ideas of things. And it's, there's, there's, a, there's this difference, and this is where the cultic mindset comes in, is there's a difference between I have a set of beliefs of how the world works, and this is how I'm going to operate in the world and get along and navigate. There's a difference between that and I have this set of beliefs, and they're so good that you better get on board with them, because if you don't, you're the bad guy.
0: Hmm.
1: that's the leap that we make that causes all the friction that causes all the the, the discomfort and the, and the strife and we got to get over ourselves and our own ego about our beliefs to to before we're going to get to that world peace point mm-hmm. you know and... we, need to, we need to lower the level of our own ego
0: And avoid that which excites that ego or strengthens that ego, which is just as hard to do. Because that's the
1: stirring up of the discontent and those are the bad guys and all the reasons you're suffering in life is because of them. Like there's also a responsibility factor here too, which might help temper that ego. Uh, It's not that you're always responsible for everything that happens to you because you're not. That's the you know that was a Scientology control thing. Is, is it would be turned against you, right? But, um, but you're not you're not responsible for everything that happens to you. But you have to also um, get over the idea that 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 it's always somebody else's fault. You know, it's not always somebody else's fault. Sometimes systems just break down. Sometimes shit happens. Sometimes lightning strikes. What are you gonna mm-hmm. do about that? Mm-hmm. You know. Argue with God or some shit, you know? In a way. It's that
0: hubris of accountability. Yeah. It's really prideful, very egocentric. Like, I can hold.
1: For agency. We're always looking for agency, right? Who did this? Who caused this? Who's responsible for this? Ultimately, it's God. That's the ultimate answer that we came up with. Stupid fucking answer, but makes sense
0: to a primitive mind, right? I think it's better than anything else. It wasn't
1: Sally, so it must have been God, right? Or it must have been the bird who represents the God or, Mm. Mm. you know, Mm. because the world's a confusing place and we're simple creatures (laughs) and we want simple answers because we don't have to think too hard. You know? And this is the struggle, this is actually the struggle. We're only now starting to actually make inroads to understanding ourselves. One of the problems with all this is it's so new. You know, it's all. this is all post-Enlightenment stuff. Up until the Enlightenment, demons were real. Angels were real. You acted the way you did literally because another being occupied your body and made you do that. And people thought that was as real as this can of fucking Coke. It's... I mean, wow, right? So now we are, have a whole different way of thinking, and we're not quite used to it yet. Mm-hmm. And we're in that horrible transition period <laughs> where we're, we're, we're like sitting here going, ah, what do we do with this?
0: We really are like in an a eternal teenage society. Yes, yes. And I, and I hope
1: that. That, uh, I hope that we can survive long enough through this period of 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 the strife and the war and everything that we seem to crave so much to evolve past this, you know because evolutionarily wise, I mean we're not evolving at all. We were the same biological creatures we were two thousand, four thousand, ten thousand years ago. We have same same basic brain mock-up, same basic body setup. Um, so we haven't changed. It's, it's you know, we, 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 it, our capability of changing our environment has changed mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. our technology has changed, because our knowledge base has changed. And uh, we need to catch up to those strides. You know, the, the humanities are still in their infancy huh. and they think they're so smart and they're not. They don't have shit figured out yet. They, and, we, and this is, again, where we got to get over. They used over to them.
0: know how to be beautiful, but they lost that along the way, too. Now they just, like, produce and, and reinforce trash.
1: That's right. That's right. And that's the struggle of humanity. And it might well be our undoing. You know, I often con- consider that. I wonder, we're just another species on this planet. This planet loses, what, a thousand species a year or some shit. We're just another one you know and we don't see our own self-interest in long-term goals we're very short-sighted
0: so should we should we end on the uh, annihilation note
1: the an nihilistic view no let me, <laughs> let me let me let me give you the rest of these points because um I want to just put them into your head so you'll think with them a little bit okay, okay. Um, and you can refer to my website anytime the, the whole we checklist will. here um Okay, so the leadership dictates, sometimes in great detail, how members should think, act, and feel. For example, members must get permission to date. And that's actually true in the Sea Org, by the way. You have to get permission to date somebody. Um, Change jobs, marry, or leaders prescribe what types of clothes to wear, where to live, whether or not to have children, how to discipline children, and so forth. Um, most of these cults have very, very specific, uh, guidelines and rules for how to act and how to dress and stuff. Um, you know, the Duggars, the, have you seen that show? The Duggars, the 21 and counting show, you know, who I'm talking about big family. You never heard of those. Okay, cool. No worries. They all dress in these long dresses and the females can't be showing any arm. And it's, it's ridiculous. The group is elitist. Claiming a special exalted status for itself, its leaders and members. For example, the leader is considered the messiah or a special being or an avatar or the group or the leader is on a special mission to save humanity. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Real people who have realistic expectations and ideas don't ever think that what they're doing is saving the world. (laughs) I mean, unless they're literally looking for a, a cure for a virus or something, you know. <laughs> like those are the only people I'm gonna like give the give the credo. Of, yeah, okay, you're perfect. saving the world. Okay, good. You know. <laughs> um. Okay, the group has a polarized us versus them mentality, which may cause conflict with the wider society. The leader is not accountable to any authorities. Unlike, for example, teachers, military commanders, or ministers, priests, monks, and rabbis of mainstream religious denominations, those guys have somebody else to answer to. L. Ron Hubbard didn't have to answer to anybody, right? Um, What's her name? Uh, You know, the leaders of Black Lives Matter, the leaders, these academics who write these books and stuff, they don't feel like they have anybody to answer to, they're the ones who are issuing the dogma. Mm-hmm. They know best. And everybody else just better get on board. Mm-hmm. It's that mm-hmm. attitude, you know. Uh, the leader is not okay, so the leader's not accountable. The group teaches or implies that its supposedly exalted ends justify whatever means it deems necessary, right? And justifies the means. Mm-hmm. This may result in members participating in behaviors or activities that they would have considered reprehensible or unethical before joining the group. As a Scientologist, for example, I was able to rationalize credit card fraud. I was able to rationalize disconnecting forcefully mothers from their daughters, sons from their fathers. I was able to rationalize um, physical abuse, psychological abuse, psychological blackmail. Uh, just as a regular course of events. And I never would have accepted that kind of crap on day one. Never. Right? Gradually lead you into it and get you to a place where, like that black girl who was screaming at the top of her lungs in the middle of the hallway, fuck, Brad Weinstein, fuck. Do you think the day she arrived at that college, she ever imagined she'd be doing that? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you know? Because who gets steeped in this shit in eighth grade, right? In high school, you know, not
0: more and more and more and more people.
1: Yeah. Nowadays, maybe it's starting. (laughs) But, you know, it it had to start somewhere, you know. Um, okay. the leadership includes. Oh, no. The leadership induces feelings of shame or guilt in order to influence and control its members. This is crucial. This is a real important part of of cultic movements. And, you know, this kind of thing, the shame, blame, guilt thing is, is a major control mechanism. How Often, do you
0: guard yourself from shame and blame? I mean,
1: you have to keep your head on straight, you know, you can't, uh, it, cause the appeal to emotion is, is what's strongest there, right? Cults specialize in a couple different logical fallacies. Appeal to emotion is one of the strongest appeal to authority is another one. Um, those are really, really strong logical fallacies in these groups, and they and they purposefully are ramping you up. They want that emotion. You know, this is this goes all the way down to MLMs. You know, multi level marketing companies. You ever seen the group meetings these guys get into? Amway and those guys.
0: Mm, I think so.
1: Those forums. It's been they a while, have babe. regular meetings. The MLM guys have regular meetings and conferences, and they look like religious revivals. These are businesses, and they look just like religious revivals. In fact, the CEO of one of the MLMs was literally on stage compared to Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's all about the emotional thing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so that's how they induce the shame and the guilt, and they and they lay it on real thick. And of course, that's where all the labels come in. Oh, you're a disagreeable label. Yeah, the antithesis to be. All right, racist, sexist, misogynist, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. You know, what these guys don't account for in human psychology, what they don't seem to understand about human psychology is that all of those tools are short term tools. They only last for a certain period of time. Eventually, people wake up to it. Eventually, people get sick and fucking tired of being called something that they know they're not. And it eventually starts rubbing them the wrong way. They always overplay their hand. Uh, even Stalin did.
0: You even know, I mean, Stalin.
1: Even Stalin, <laughs> right? I mean, even Russia. Because that yeah. Stalin yeah. led to Khrushchev, led, you know, led to yeah. the other guys. Yeah. But, you know, they, eventually communism fell. And it, it didn't even last 100 years. And they were absolutely positive. They were building, you know, structures that were going to last through the ages and stuff, right? Everybody's sure they got the thing that's just going to go. And they don't understand that people are only going to live under the actual yoke of oppression, which they become. They're only going to live for that shit for so long. At most, three or four generations. Because by the time you're down four or five generations into this shit, these people were never true believers. The first generation, the second generation, even the third generation were the true believers. They were the ones who believed in the vision of the Soviet Republic and the and the revolution and all that. This is why communes always break down. Why In, in Israel, you never have a commune last longer than the first generation. Because the second generation grows up in the shit and goes, this is fucking bullshit. I want a radio, man. I want to listen to some music. I want to go see a movie. You know, and the true believers were their parents and their parents were like, no, those that's our society. That's bad. But the kids never bought into that shit. You know, <laughs> So it always cycles out. Um, OK, a couple more and then we'll be done. Uh, subservience to the leader or group requires members to cut ties with family and friends yes. yeah. and radically alter the personal goals and activities they had before joining the group.
0: Always There's a lot of, of cutting of ties right now. Uh, Not just firings, but like young people on Facebook, on Instagram, policing each other for not posting the correct thing.
1: Yep, that's right. Scientologists do the same things. They actually have Facebook police. Literally. Why not? Yeah. (laughs) They monitor, they watch, they control. It's all about Mm -hmm. control. Mm -hmm. Um, And all you got to do to start breaking free of it yeah, actually, this might serve your purposes, too. All you got to do is say no once and watch what happens.
0: Just say it once. What do you, that, what do you think happens? It, you know, when they're
1: it? trying to control you, when they're trying to say, no, you can't post that. No, you can't say that. No, you can't do that. Say no and see what happens. No, I think I do want to post that. And you will see your allies, your best friends, the people you thought had your back under thick and thin, Turn on you like that and they will ostracize you. And this is the moment of wake up. And this is probably the answer you're looking for as far as waking people up. The moment of wake up is always a personal betrayal of some kind. The group has to somehow betray its values against that member who thought he was being the most loyal, subservient, you know, Winston Smith member of the group and he could you know he was following all the rules she was saying all the mantras they were doing all the right things and suddenly the group turns on them because of one little thing that they got off or got wrong you know so if you can purposefully get somebody to 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 cast the first stone to say the no they'll experience it for themselves and that will convince them faster than any number of words you'll tell them you know Try disagreeing with your group and see what happens. (laughs) Just just plant that earworm, right? Try disagreeing and see what happens. Don't even say you have to leave. Just say, try disagreeing. Um, Okay, the group is preoccupied with bringing in new members. The group is preoccupied with making money. Um, Members are expected to devote inordinate amounts of time to the group and group-related activities. Uh, you don't get to have a life outside the group, right? If you're not dedicated enough, you're not loyal enough, you're not active enough, what are you doing? Prove it. Let's, you know, where, where's, what are you up to? They guilt you and shame you into it. Uh, and finally, um, oh, two things. Members are encouraged or required to live and or socialize only with other group members. Probably about a year into Scientology, you find out that you have no other non-Scientology friends. You don't know how it happened. It just happened. Hmm. (laughs) And the most loyal members, the true believers, feel that there can be no life outside the context of the group. They believe there is no other way to be and often fear reprisals to themselves or others if they leave or even consider leaving the group. And that's the last one. Mm -hmm. That all comes out of a book called Take Back Your Life, Recovering from Cults and Abusive Relationships. By you? No, by Yanya no. Lalich.
0: Well, it, it's... My heroes. So you... Well, first of all, thanks, thanks for bringing your knowledge to this, because I, I've seen a lot of... Parallels within the Evergreen State College, and that's what I was thinking at the very beginning of me critiquing it when I was still there. And I wrote a post on the forums like, "Okay, let's just go through how cults behave, and let's go through how our professors and and students are behaving here. Look, look at what you guys are doing." Very um,
1: comparison. Vary. Yeah. Very. All of and, what I was doing on those videos was straight up cult indoctrination.
0: Yeah. And I, I guess the the question that we're going to see is, uh, can can a cultic way of thinking expand? And claim an entire society can can it can it operate on the level of every institution? And you're agreeing that it can. America, fuck yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's not hopeful. Again, we're we're we're, we're going into the annihilation mode.
1: <laughs> okay, well let me let me pull it back a little bit then, because yeah. um, we're in a nation of what two hundred million three thirty. 330 now 330 yeah. million people you're never going to get 330 million people on the same page on anything okay so it's all flavors it's all spectrums um this is really important to understand about this stuff spectrums and everything right uh we used to uh hubbard even even had this in in scientology a little bit um he called them gradient scales but it's really spectrums and mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are no black and white. That that doesn't exist in the real world. It's always shades of gray. Um, even the most ardent, fanatical supporter of something will have you know little tiny bells and whistles and doubts and things going on in their head sometimes. So um, so there's always room. There's always a door you know that you could open. It might take a little while to make the door visible to the person if they're really caught up in the euphoria of it all. Um, Oh, and that's another key part. Actually, we didn't talk about this at all, and it's not in the checklist, but euphoria, awe, fervor are all aspects of what we uh, uh, – an evolutionary biologist friend of mine um, puts it in terms of love. He says these all are spectrums of love Hmm. that we feel, right? We have kinship bonds, as Sapolsky talked about. And there's a reason why cults use familial terms to discuss their followers, right you know the priest the father, and his children, his flock you know these my are friends, familial... my allies that's right. all these terms are chosen very carefully on purpose um because that brings in the whole kinship bonds thing mm-hmm. um you know we 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 can look at the hate and the revile and the and the black versus you know versus white thinking and And um, and that kind of stuff. And those are all characteristics of this. But it's all built on a foundation of fervor. And that fervor comes from love. It comes from a place of compassion. That's that's why people join these groups. No one ever thinks they are joining a cult ever. They always believe they're hooking up with a social movement or a group that is somehow, or a relationship with a narcissist. They're, they're joining something that is gonna be a really amazingly popular and positive experience. And often they're surprised at how ugly things can get and how fast they can get that way because they didn't see it coming. Hmm. But usually the, 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 the gradual step by step process of indoctrination um, makes that transformation invisible to the person and they 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 do things here that they they don't they wouldn't even recognize themselves anymore if they were seeing it from you know their day one perspective
0: That's I think that we're... that can happen on an in institutional level too and the, the mm-hmm. it's really rudimentary metaphor, but the way in which the New York Times is slowly turned from you know we're going to have I remember Sarah's Young came on, and it came to light that they hired this editorial uh, woman who had who has reams and reams of anti-white posts, just anti-white, anti-white. and they t- they all covered for her, and they all, you know, they're like, well th- you, th- that was parody. She didn't really feel that way. And now, all of that generation, the millennials, I don't know what generation they are, but now they've t- taken over and are telling all the old leadership what to do, what to say, what yep. not to say. And yep. like, I think that the institution itself has kind of gone into a cultic stupor in a way of, of being, a, you know, we're going to we're going to. We're going to choose people who are going to repre- represent our our values of of inclusivity and and diversity and and really criticizing the, the those hard right backward people or what I don't know I don't know whatever but then all of a sudden they get turned it it, it devours them from the inside out the institution itself acts as a unit of somebody being kind of it, it doesn't become a cult but it is yeah, it's like in a, a, a way yeah it's like, like the a can- cancer.
1: Um, because it's an introduction of a new generation. I mean, this is also the struggle of the ages with generations and the generational conflicts, because the new values always assume the old. And that's what we call progress mm-hmm. and or lack of progress if the ideas are bad. And in this case, the ideas are bad. They're, they're, they're just wrong-headed ideas. They're not based in fact. They're, they're faith based ideas that are non falsifiable and they're stupid. You know, you're always a racist. You'll always be a race. Fuck you. I mean, what the fuck is that? That's not that's not even a falsifiable claim. It's a faith based statement. Yeah. And they and they consider it a scientific truth. And that's where they've gone completely fucking nuts is they have no concept of what science even means anymore. And that's where Lindsay goes on, you know, critical theory and how it's gone off the rails and taking everything over the cliff. And that's how it's doing it. So it becomes so so really what we have is a natural phenomenon of sociological evolution of the new replacing the old. And, and that's a good thing. That's how it's supposed to be. But when the new is built on corrupt principles of false, you know, of ridiculousness, then you get cultic phenomenon. That's when people have to double down because they know because they can't back up the ideas with intellectually honest arguments. And they kind of know that. But it feels so right. Feels so righteous! You know? And man, I've been filled with that spirit. It's powerful. (laughs) It's way more powerful than intellectual certainty.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, I... I I, I carefully regulate my righteous outrage. Every once in a while, I'll allow myself to express outrage, but... Because I know... I know that that it doesn't go or end anything. It it makes us all feel good or bad, depending on what side of the ire you are on. But beyond that, it hasn't changed anybody. That's
1: right. And when you base the whole philosophy on it, like they did with communism, like they're doing now with critical race theory or critical theories, because it's, because it's the same shit in the gender world too. I mean, these guys are just going fucking nuts with this stuff. Um, It's short lived. You know, we don't see it. We're not going to see it. We're kind of fucked because we're in the middle of it right now. And it's going to take a while for this stuff to calm the hell down. Us pushing back against it is a good thing because we contribute to that. We push back against the inertia. Mm -hmm. And we're the counter force to the force. So it's not just we're not just relying on we can sit back. And we can rely on its inertial dampening to eventually peter out. People are going to die. Ideas are going to get revised. People are going to wake up to the stupidity they're involved in. And, you know, because at the end of the day, life has certain rules that it follows. And if we're going to survive, those rules are going to have to be followed in some fashion. But these things are like cancers, and they, you know, they grow and spread and destroy organs and, and make trouble until you excise them, and, and eventually we do. We might not be around to see that, hmm. but the fact that we're pushing back against it is itself a positive part of taking these things down. So hmm. I know I talk nihilistically sometimes, but when it comes down to what you and me are doing, what we're doing is necessary and important.
0: On a long enough timeline, everybody's on the right side of history. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It just depends on what part of history exhumes you to justify its ends.
1: Exactly. That's exactly right. So at the end of the day, all you can really do, and this is where I kind of really drew the reins in on the saving the world thing, is I realized that the quality of my life is determined by what I do with it not by the forces going on around me. And I need to take responsibility for that. That's what I can be responsible for.
0: Yeah. In a form of, of stoicism. I guess. In, in a way.
1: Yeah, I think so. And also, I I, I would call it practicalism. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if stoicism is yeah. practicality. It's, yeah. yeah, let's just be real. You know, like, how much can I affect in my life? I can speak to other people. I can influence there are ways of thinking to whatever degree they're willing to listen to me. And I can try to do good, you know, and be kind. I, you know, my my uh, I, I liked, I, Do you know, you know, Pat Oswalt, right? The mm, comedian.
0: I don't think so. I would.
1: Pat Oswalt. Uh, you'd probably know him if you saw him. Look, look, look him up. Um, he's a comedian. He's a really funny guy. His wife died a few years ago. He's remarried. And, um, and it was a big loss for him and his daughter. And he did a stand-up where he actually talked about it. Um, it and it's on Netflix. And um, he's got a new one out right now, but it was the last one he did. I forgot what it was called. But he said in the thing, he talked about his ex-wife. And he said one of the things that she said that really brought a lot of, um, of, of perspective to his life. And I, the second I heard it, I was like, that's it. That's, that's my mantra for life right there. It's chaos. Be kind. Because hmm. that's life. Life is yeah. chaos. You know, all the structures and things we do, they're artificial. We're just trying to frame our place in life. So at the end of the day, what can you do that actually is good? Be kind. Yeah. <laughs> you know and i like that so much i had it tattooed. On my mm. head. <laughs> so. so i'm not nihilistic. I'm really not. You know, i just i try to be real though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Put things in perspective. Well, thank you yeah. so much, Chris. I guess we're going to do another one of these where you pick my brain.
1: Yes. I would very much like to. Have we been recording this? Have we, we not? Talking? I I haven't been.
0: I have. Was that okay. okay? I thought we were.
1: Oh no, no, it's totally fine with okay, me. Yeah. I I was just chatting, because um, <laughs> I didn't know what this was going to be. I honestly, I you know, when I first get to know somebody, I don't know where it's going to go, right? I like your videos, but I you know, I hadn't interacted with you yet, so um, I'm fine with that. I'm totally okay. fine with. I just uh, said <laughs> that out or whatever, all my little maunderings here. But um, no, I'm totally fine with you posting this. I no, think This if- is very, very
0: uh, useful, very good. timely, very important for my channel as a whole as I go good. through and try to cover responses to this um, while critiquing it and trying to allow the people who are going so strong with it to not necessarily salvage their reputation, but salvage the virtues that they think they're fighting for. If they can salvage that process of equity from an infinite backlash of race war and tribalism that they are, I don't know how they're not aware of this, but that they are, are promoting and pushing, um, then at least they'll, they'll have something to cling to. Uh, when,
1: Well, at the end of the day, you know, the, the sad truth about people who push these power dynamics and stuff is that they're trying to put themselves into the position of power that they are fighting against right now. It's the it's the Communist Revolution playbook, literally step by step by step, which I'm absolutely positive these folks, the academics on this side are fully informed of. It's just weird how they don't think through the consequences of it. You know, it's (laughs) I endlessly marvel at the inability of narcissists to understand that and their followers who adopt their personality characteristics that way to to understand that they are not the historical exception to the rule of what has happened to every single narcissist in history. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, It's almost like these ideas create and or attract narcissists. Very and, much. and that might be going down that hazy road of personality traits, but it either informs or creates or it either attracts or creates tyrants.
1: Yes, that's right. And that's all we're really talking about, you know, because narcissist itself has become so overused. It's pretty watered down now. It's a difficult concept to understand. And at the end of the day, you know, there's no gene, there's no neuro set, there's no organ we're pointing to that says, ah, there's the narcissism trait, right? Yeah. It's how people act. So that's how we that's how we kind of are looking at it right now. And yes, tyranny, oppression, dictatorships, authoritarianism, these, all, these are all words to describe the phenomena of people taking advantage of other people through deceptive means, and there's a whole lot of deception going on right now in critical race theory, and that's why we need to fight back against it.
0: Congratulations for reaching the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this product, consider donating to this channel via paypal.me slash Boyce or joining me on Patreon. Also follow me on Twitter at... Benjamin A. Boyce, have a good night.